Hello, I'm Don Durham, and welcome to Patent Pod. One of our goals is to educate the field regarding resources that are available to enhance learning outcomes for students. Marianne Stefko is joining Patent Pod today to share the communication plan as it relates to children who are deaf and hard of hearing. Marianne, thanks so much for being on Patent Pod today. We're excited to be with you. Just let's start off, just so folks can kind of understand where we're coming from today. Why don't you share, if you would, um, a little bit about your work with school-aged children? Thanks, Dawn. So I'm excited to be here today. Um, I am a teacher of the deaf. I've been a teacher of the deaf for over 30 years. Um, so I have extensive work working with school-age children um, as a teacher, as a mainstream coordinator, as well as a school administrator. Um, currently, I am an early interventionist with the Choices for Children program, um, serving babies birth to three years old who are deaf or hard of hearing and their families in the Northeast region part of the state. Wow, so you know, when you say over 30 years of experience, we're so blessed to be able to have you with us on Patent Pod to really um, kind of pick at your brain and use your expertise. So I want to just talk to you. We hear about this communication plan. Talk to me briefly, if you would, what is the communication plan and why is it so important for our students who are deaf and hard of hearing? So we know um, in it, as, as a teacher of the deaf, as um, family members um, with deaf or hard of hearing children, we know how critical early communication and early language is for our deaf and hard of hearing children. Um, the communication plan is a tool. So I wanna stress that it's a tool for a deaf or hard of hearing child's team. Um, and I see it as something that will help that team strategically plan and evaluate and reflect on the family and child's communication and language development. Um, so in a perfect world, um, which I would love to see happen, um, a deaf or hard of hearing child would begin with a communication plan when that child enters into early intervention. So in that birth, those birth to three years, um, we know at this point that that's best practice and hopefully more and more folks are gonna be, going be introducing the plan at that time. And so families can then get a better understanding of their child's hearing loss, of the members of their team, of their child and their family's communication needs so that child, children have that early access to language and families can start to build as soon as they're, as they're able to with their child. You know, when you talk about early language, how vital that is for our students. And I'm glad you, you're really highlighting a few things here. So I just want to mention a few of them. This communication plan is a tool, a tool in which it helps us plan, evaluate, and reflect on practices to ensure access and growth of that early language development and skill set. You had talked about that the communication plan is really a tool for the team. So if you could just kind of help me understand, well, if this is a tool for the team, who exactly is a part of this discussion? Who is the team that may be um, inputting and sharing parts of this communication plan? So the team for me um, is a is a is an evolving process. Mm -hmm. So in that birth to three. Um, area, um, I see the team as the parents of the child, 
the teacher of the deaf who's working with the child, the service coordinator who is coordinating all of the early intervention services that that child and that family is receiving, um, as well as other interventionists on the child's team. So um, I have done communication plans and included PTs and OTs and everybody else who's, who's delivering services to that family. Um, I like to develop it within the first 60 to 90 days when that child enters service. That way, all of those team members are together and we're all working for on common goals, which I think are so very important. Um, for school-age children, I see the team a little bit differently. So I see it as the teacher of the deaf. I see it as the parents of the child. I see it as the speech language pathologist, um, the sign language interpreters that might be working with the child. The general education teacher is a vital role, as well as um, the LEA from the school district. Um, I also feel strongly that as students are age appropriate, um, they should be part of that discussion and part of that team. Because what we're talking about is what their needs are and what, they're, um, what they need to access, as well as how they're succeeding in, in their school environment. So we want to make sure that everybody has a, brings a piece to the table. Um, that it is required under Chapter 14. But again, the communication plan I see as such a valuable tool that I can't imagine folks not wanting to do it. Sure, sure. You know, I want to bring up a couple of points you had mentioned when we talk about the team, as you had shared, it kind of changes based on our rebirth to age three, are we school age, or are we at an age where the student themselves has input and, and should have input as, as their voice matters when we think about uh, this tool to plan, evaluate and reflect on practices and, and how do we get that language and access to the language. So I guess I, I just want to clarify a couple of things for my own um, benefit and for those who are listening. When we talk about, you had said that, you know, you like to plan that communication tool. You like to use it within 60 to 90 days of service. So in regards to a, a young child birth to age three, we're talking early intervention. When we get to school age children, is this at entry of school when they enter kindergarten, first grade? Is this, does this happen later on if it was missed? You know, help me understand the timeline of when we may use this tool effectively to get the most out of it. So I think um, for me, um, I like to start it in the birth to three program, and then it becomes part of the IFSP and IEP process as it moves along. So the, the tool can be used one of two ways. It can be used first as a standalone document. So the communication plan in and of itself with complete with its glossary can be used as a document that is attached to the IFSP or the IEP. Um, I, I think that it's important that if a family starts and has that foundation um, and understanding of their child's language and communication needs and supports, it makes it so much easier to go through the, all the school years, to be honest. It just becomes part of it. Um, it can also be embedded into um, an IFSP or an IEP, but I find that to be a little bit more challenging um, because parents are then not sure where to look for the different pieces. And we want it, again, to be usable and to be easily accessible. And so that's important. Um, I do think that as the as the child grows and as they go through the school age program, it definitely should be done once a year at their IEP. 
um, or whenever their hearing or vision needs change. And I think that that's really important because I see children in the birth to three program. I watch children go from an initial diagnosis to an initial hearing aid fitting to perhaps a cochlear implant evaluation to perhaps getting a cochlear implant. That could mean that some of my children that I serve and my families have three or four communication plants because they've up and updated as, as the needs change. Um, I also think it's important for children who are school age to, again, whenever changes occur and whenever needs arise, that that communication plan be revisited so that we can we can do better in terms of giving them the supports and the services they need. We know that children in an academic setting where there is academic rigor, very different than children that are in their home environment, in their natural environment with familiar people. So again, we see some differences and I think we need to be responsive to that. You know, I'm glad that we talked about that being responsive. And I think that's a key we need to hold on to, that responsiveness. I, I wanted to think about, you know, the flexibility of this communication plan. How final is it? Is there flexibility? And and I'll, I'll let you have the last say on this, but I think what I hear you saying is it's not necessarily final in the sense of we can't revisit it. As you had indicated, um, situations change, the environments change, rigor changes from being at home to being in an academic school setting. And so therefore that communication plan if, correct me if I'm wrong, should also adapt and adjust with the child, yes? Absolutely. Absolutely. And sometimes we see when, um, you know, when, when, or we hear when folks say, but they're doing so well. Well, they're doing so well. The child's doing so well because of the supports and services they have. So that's even a bigger reason to continue them, to stay on top of them. Because again, we want all children to do the best they can possibly do. And so that's the reason that the supports and services are so critical that are included in that communication plan and discussed by the team. So we, we keep talking about this communication plan. I want to make sure our, our listeners know, where do I go to find this tool? Where do I go to learn more information? If I'm listening to this and saying, wow, this is something that I need access to, help us out in, in kind of navigating that, that path, if you would. So the easiest way to access the tool itself is to go to the patent website, um, go under forms. There is an early intervention form. There is a school age form, very easily accessible to families, to school districts, to intermediate units, to parents. Um, I, as a teacher of the deaf, um, I carry mine around with me as one of my initial documents that I share because the really amazing thing about this tool is that it includes a glossary. So often, you know, I'll say to parents, well, new to the journey of hearing loss, well, who did you see or where did you go or where was that appointment? And they'll say to me, oh, was it the audiologist or was it a speech therapist? That glossary helps them navigate this whole new world to them, especially for families of the of our youngest children. Um, Again, um, we know the statistics, 90% of deaf and hard of hearing children are born to hearing families. So this is a new experience. And this is for me, kind of a roadmap to families to say, this is your team. This is These are all of the options that you have. And these are all of the pieces that we can bring to the table. So teachers of the deaf, um, I'm positive across the state have copies. Um, LEAs, I'm positive have copies, but I certainly 
certainly would start with Patton because it's so easily accessible. I give that to all of my families as, as a resource and a go-to. You know, when you think about um, visiting the Patton website, this is really a, a, a legal guardian, a family member, an educator, an instructional leader, anyone could access this communication plan to have it in their back pocket, to know it exists, to ask the questions, hey, you know, where's your communication plan? Have we talked about this communication plan? And it really kind of turns all of us into advocates, right? I mean, it really turns all of us into advocates to make sure that we are planning, evaluating, and reflecting on the best practices. Absolutely. And I think another way that I've used it is when tr children transition. So when they transition to school age and, um, and are maybe meeting their general education teacher who has not had a child with a hearing loss before, again, that glossary plays such an important role that um, that person has all of that information. In, at their fingertips. They don't have to search for it on the web or on different websites. It's all right there and it's all categorized and it's organized and it's very, very clear. Um, we know that, again, hearing loss is low incidence. So very often a, a general education teacher may not have had another child with a hearing loss, or there may only be one or two children in a whole school district that have a hearing loss. So this is a great resource for general ed teachers as well. Yeah, you know, we, I keep going back to, you said it's a roadmap. It's your roadmap for families. I think it's a roadmap for education. Mm -hmm. this, is, this is our path to ensuring all students have access, as it may be, because, um, you know, it is a low incidence disability. It's, the prevalence rate is not nearly as, as um, high. So therefore, this educational tool, this communication plan as a tool, is really all of our guides for um, a, a, a situation in which we may need to um, really have a roadmap that we're unsure of. So I'm so glad that we were able to, to touch base with that. And you had said you had suggested the first place to go is the Patent website at www.patent.net to really access this, this communication plan as a tool. Absolutely. Absolutely. And you if know, I could... Yeah, please. If I could just add one more thing. So I think the other thing to remember is that when we talked about when do we do this communication plan, um, it's important to remember um, for me and for other teachers of the deaf that the communication plan really should be the document, the tool that's driving the rest of the IFSP or the IEP discussion. So when you're looking at an IFSP or an IEP and you're under that special considerations page, and it says, does the child have a vision loss? Does the child have a hearing loss? Does the child have communication needs? As soon as those boxes are checked, yes. The communication plan then, um, it's appropriate that it be examined and it be completed to then drive the rest of the discussion because the supports and the services for the child and the family that are gonna be addressed in that communication plan should absolutely also be in the IFSP and the IEP. Um, and I think, you know, again, if it's habit and if parents are aware of it, then it just becomes what we do. And it's best practice for planning for that child's language and communication needs. I like that. That it's, it's really the driving force. You mm -hmm. had said that communication yes. is what drives the team's yes. decisions and the documentation moving forward to allow for um, enhancement and access to, mm -hmm. to language for our students. You know, Marion, this is such a great conversation to be having. You know, we talked about this kind of early on in the, in the, in the um, conversation that this is part of our goal. You know, Patent Pod is here to educate the field and having you with the years of experience that you have and your knowledge to just kind of tap into you a bit. 
about this valuable tool that we should all have in our back pocket for that time when we need it um, and be ready to advocate for our students has just been so wonderful. So thank you so much for being on Patent Pod today. We truly appreciate having you. Thank you so much for the opportunity to be here. Thank you to all of you in the field. You are truly an inspiration to us all. A special thank you to John Ragsdale for producing this podcast. We'll see you next time on Patent Pod. Thank you.